Hi, Miranda. How you doing? Hey, Greg. I'm doing good. How about Glad you? I'm doing just fine. It's Saturday. I don't got too many complaints. I'm sitting down with you, my good friend. You are the leader of the Sand Dry Top community in Guild Wars 2. Uh, gosh, I got involved in that a few years ago, and you were doing that even before I was a member. How long have you been doing this for? Um, I mean, yeah, you and and your wife are actually, I mean, I remember you guys coming for like at least a year before we even joined the guild, so that was cool. I, I've yeah. got like that weird uncanny memory for, for names. Um, so I started Sand in July of 2015, but that entire summer I was doing dry top with folks. Why dry top? Um, I mean, there's a long story and a short story to that. I'll kind of like try and make it manageable. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I played Star Wars Guild Republic before Guild Wars 2. You know, Guild Wars 2 was the game that everyone was like, it's going to destroy Star Wars. See you guys. And they just like, you know, logged out. And then they came back like, you know, two days later. But um, I had a friend who was like, I'm just going to buy you Guild Wars 2. I was like, no, no, it, it's okay. I, I probably won't play it. No, no. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy it. He just he bought it for me and I was like, I don't understand, but okay. Um and you know, I picked it up, I tried it one night, and then I quit for like a year, year and a half. Um and then I, I sort of had struggles in Swoltor with the guild of mine, a former guild of mine, and I kind of just needed to dip out of that game. I needed to find another place to be. Um and so I got it stuck in my head. I was like, okay, Heart of Thorns is coming out. I need to get my characters ready. I got to get my engineer ready, right. my guardian ready. I remember so that too. My, yeah. Like that hype entire... period for Heart of Thorns was so intense. Dude, it really was. Like, I remember it was palpable in the air. It really. Just... Expansion number one. What could happen? And, uh, I know. and at that time, ArenaNet was doing a lot of like slow reveals. They were doing the elite specialization reveals. It was a very different time for the studio. It feels like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it and... really was. So anyway, um, I mean, continue. they had, Oh, sorry. No, uh, yeah, of course. No, it's it's just my internet. My I just realized I can't get the five G. We've got a router and it's got five G and the regular and I, the Wi Fi, it doesn't even pop up. I'm just like, wow, I see how it is. Um, so my entire point was I'm gonna finish the Amberite weapons collection because at the end of that collection you get an ascended armor chest and I was like, that's what I need to finish my armor for my character. Um, and that's why I jumped into dry top and. That was back when I had a little more time and it was like a buildup of several, several weeks of like T5 really close to T6 getting it. And it never occurred to me to make a guild until someone said something, but like, that's how it started. I just, I wanted to complete my, my collection. And I was like, it's funner when people are involved together. And I just like ran around the map, like the chicken with my head cut off. I was hyper as, as all hell. <laughs> that's awesome. So some random person just made the suggestion, hey, make a guild. Is that how it went down? Yeah. Um, I am still friended with them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually, I found an old screenshot of theirs, of well, of mine. I screenshot everything. I'm obsessed with, like, having nice screenshots to look through and just, you know, feel happy inside. But, um, yeah, they said, you know, you should consider making a guild. And at the time, there was another longstanding guild that had been doing dry top. And I was kind of like, I don't, I don't know, like, you know, I don't, I don't really want to intrude on them. And I was, I was still in my soul tour guild, which meant they had a reputation policy of hundred percent. You could not be in the other guilds except finally, 
with some of my pushing too. Um, I was part of that movement. You could be in one other guild in one other game on one alt. So oh that one alt of my, yeah, oh um, that one alt of mine finally ended up being, I'm going to create my own guild with my one Guild Wars 2 character, which meant I could only ever rep that guild on that one character. So I got around that by always being on her. Wow. I've never heard of a, of a guild in a game that was restricted to the point of preventing you from playing other games. That, that sounds very, that's so serious. Um, their whole thing was that they were very serious about community, and I respect that. I respect trying to foster a community where everyone is, you know, super involved with the goings-on of the guild, of the community, of everyone else. But I've been in guilds like that before where it was kind of just for show, and the officers, like, would slap you if you did it, but the officers themselves were like, ah, I'm, you know, on an, in another guild, on another alt. Um, just kind of like the crazy stuff you hear about, like crazy guild corruption and, and game drama. Like I've seen it and it, oh, yeah. I, I felt that, you know, one of the core issues ended up being, you can't be in any guild, but ours, you must always represent us. It builds resentment and that resentment will just, it lingers for a long time. And then you start seeing it as the issue for everything that right. you have going wrong with the game or the people. So sand became like an outlet for you at that time? Yes, um, very much so. It was um, kind of a, I, I'm sure everyone's heard me say it at this point, but it was a healing sort of balm in my life in the sense that I'd come away from another community. Some of it my fault, a lot of it not. Um, and I, I felt that I was not worth very much. Um I, I didn't think sand would last. Like I kind of created it on a whim kind of with the little fluttering of hope in my heart, like maybe I can do it. Um, and it's, it gave me a chance to be very peppy and cheerful and happy and excited about something um, that I, I hadn't been able to show that side of myself in a long time in soul tour. Um, probably well over a year. I was on the defensive with my former guild where they just kind of got I was moody. I didn't know who to trust. I just, I basically was in the guild only in name and I just play with people in other guilds. Right, right. Now in, in SWOTOR, I'm a little less familiar with that game. The point of guilds in that game, was it for PVP? Was it for raiding? Yeah. How did it work? Um, well, in SWOTOR, I think they've made it a little different now, but you basically, oh, sorry, there's an airplane. Um, you basically join a guild. It's not through the account like it is with Guild Wars 2. It's through every single character you create, which gets really exhausting. But it also right. makes it easier to just be in various guilds and have no one know the difference. Um, but in Swotor, you know, like a lot of other traditional MMOs, you find a guild for PvP, you find a guild for raiding, you find a guild for roleplay if you want to do that. And that's about all you need. There, There are not there, there's world bosses in Soul Tour, sure, but I mean, you can solo half of them. Like once you hit level, what's oh my gosh, level cap is seventy five now. Um, you can kind of just there's there there are not large wide scale map metas like there are in Guild Wars two right. at all. Yeah, the impression I have of Soul Tour is that over the years it's kind of gotten away from the cooperative component and focused more on the the storytelling that it does um, it's uh yes they've 
they've made it very clear that they want to concentrate more on the story. Yeah, my my buddy Will um, has been playing through. He just finished the Imperial Agent storyline, and he was just starting the Sith Warrior one. Um, he was trying to, uh, actually, he didn't convince me to jump in. I was like, oh, I'll jump in and play with you when I got in, and I realized, oh, right, this game was made a long time ago, and there's a reason I didn't play it the first time. <laughs> Shows yeah. its age. It's not for everyone. Uh, for me, Swotor very much is my PvP game. Uh, and I really enjoy the story. Um, I, a lot of folks are kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't like what they did with Revan. And I'm just like, whatever. Like, you know, I don't mind. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, what did it's they my do PvP with Revan? game. It's my... I, it's I, not a spoiler. It's been out for freaking ever. Yeah. Um, I played KOTOR so, 1 and 2, but I have not touched SWOTOR like at all. So I'm totally ignorant of this. Like in Swotor, there's what's called flashpoints, and those are basically the equivalent of Gilrasu dungeons. And so one, I think it, I can't remember, it's like Tarl 5, maybe? Raya would know. Yes, Raya's childhood. Um, <laughs> you come across the Jedi Exile, which was like Revan's companion back in the day, and she's like a force ghost. And so then you find out that Revan had been like captured and like basically like just kept in stasis for several years <laughs> um okay several hundred years i think and then you like free him and he's like oh and i think he's jedi again at that point so yeah. light not dark and that was one of the main components of kotar one and two is you could you can kind of plot your own path mm -hmm. but then there was an entire uh, expansion called shadow of revan where suddenly he split into two people like literally like there's one light revan and then there's the dark Revan. So you have to team up with the light Revan to destroy the dark Revan. And like, they're both the same person. Just, you know, I forget what happened and what the explanation was. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are not happy with that. <laughs> yeah, sounds like an impossible situation because when you have a game where the point is to kind of customize the character, and you take that character and you turn him into an NPC in a new game, it's like, that's not the guy I played. Yeah. Um, and that I think that was kind of the, the big issue. And I, I didn't mind it. I mean, the, the Nightmare Revan fight, the final fight of his major uh, raid was just, my God, it was, they had such, I, I Nightmare raiding in Star Wars, I, it's why I don't raid much anymore. Um, really? You basically had orbs that you had to fight. And so you had all of you, everyone, all eight people in the raid, had to face the exact right way with their character to face the orb. And it'd be something ridiculous, like the guild leader would be like, okay, 12 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 3 o'clock. And that was basically, you had to quickly move your character that way and remember, you know, north, south, east, west. I, it's awful. Oh, I can easily <laughs> imagine the drama resulting from those raids. Like oh, yeah, three I hours was... of wiping mm. because one person couldn't, <laughs> couldn't no, figure it real, out. Like, or... That oh. was, yeah, I was in a guild that was a little too lenient. Like, I didn't feel they were progressing far enough. And then in my Imperial Raiding Guild, it was just, like, negative reinforcement where the raid leader was just like, come on, so-and-so, stop being a fucking idiot. Like, that's what they would say. And I was like, oh, my God, like, this hurts me. And I'd kind of just, like, keep my head down. I was the healer, so, like, I have my parsing data. I can just tell, like, okay, I've got the numbers right. I don't really have to worry about the mechanics too much. I'm going to just... I'm gonna just do this, and yeah, yeah. I had to, I had to hop out. It was too much. I hear you. So when you were starting Sand, you had a few examples of things you didn't really like when it came to guild leadership. 
I'm guessing it sounds like you learned from those in order to kind of plot your own course. Uh, I did, but I am guilty of going probably very, very far in the opposite direction. Uh Um, You know, an extreme is never good, especially as a consequence or reaction of something. Uh, I don't believe in a reputation policy. I never have. I feel, uh, for those who don't, Guild Wars 2, you know, you you rep a guild and so it shows above their head. Um, And you can be in up to five at a time, right? Yes. They'll never change that. (laughs) Um, So you, I, I feel that people who have the chance to choose to integrate on their own terms will likely stick it out longer with the guilds, with the community. They'll feel less pressure to have a certain, you know, okay, sorry. Sorry, there was like a car making a squealing sound. I thought maybe um, it was a cat. <laughs> no, yeah, I thought it was like a dog yelping. I was like, oh no. Um, there's less pressure. And people don't need to be repping the guild to talk in guild chat. They don't need to be repping the guild to be in Discord to right. participate in an event. I don't even make event I, i've never made tag leaders or those who are helping out during our runs they don't have to rep us like we've had people from all kinds of guilds who are in sand but they're choosing to rep another guild of theirs and they're our tag and it's like yeah that's cool you're awesome that's fine i it's great i i i'm happy when people rep us and i'm happy when they're just online enjoying themselves not repping right. us yeah i'm a great example of the success of that policy in a way because when I first started joining up with Dry Top, it was because at the time I was playing Guild Wars with my lovely wife, who, who you know, um, we're mutual mm-hmm. friends. And I was trying to find a fun open world activity to do with her. And I stumbled into Dry Top one day. I think we were doing the Madri collection, which is for a piece of ascended armor, which at the time for us, I think that was our first piece. Um, and I was like, oh, wow, this would be great fun. You know, for me, I like kind of. I'm kind of a nerd. I'm kind of a tryhard. I want to do the raids. I want to do PvP. Like, that's what I like to do. But my wife likes to have a nice experience. It's kind of fun and more social. And what Sand was was exactly that. Like, the way I think of Dry Top, when we came into it, and still, whenever I drop in once in a blue moon, it's the same. It's like the the most, it's like the best party in Guild Wars, I think. Um, I just love those events, and we have always loved them and cherished them. And from the beginning, because you were lenient about the tagging policy, I was able to still be in my like tryhard raid guild, but come in and pop into dry top. And then eventually, when I got tired of them and had a basically a similar experience to kind of what you're describing, where the leadership just didn't do a great job and I got alienated, I eventually made Sand my main tag, and I, that's still who I rep today. Yeah, um, I mean, I remember. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, like I remember you and and your wife just flitting around dry top pretty con- uh, consistently you guys were veterans that i sort of took stock of there there are other veterans that I, I see constantly on the map today who they're not in sand they they're not in sand but they show up and they they know the drill um and it's just it's nice to have that extra bit of community when you don't have to worry about something like reputation and, and yeah. repping that guild yeah and i get the argument for kind of consolidating reputation and having that requirement. Mm -hmm. The idea of, you know, this isn't just a guild, this is a home. You can only have one home at a time. So if you're here, that's what you sign up for. But the the difference between a home, you know, in the real world with 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 a family and the home in in a game is you can you can change homes pretty easy in a game. Yes. So 
um, you don't have to stick it out. You don't have to figure out communication issues. I mean, look, I've been there too. I mean, playing MMOs since WoW vanilla. I've I'm just as you do. I have plenty of stories of awful guild leadership um, and awful guild members too. It's not just a one-way street. So definitely not. One of the coolest things Guild Wars did to, to me was totally new was the fact that you can be in multiple guilds. It was like, ah, wow, what a refreshing thing to be like, yeah, I don't have to just commit to one. I can be like, um, I can be part of multiple communities and communities can specialize more as a result. And a community like Sand can form around uh, a map meta for Dry Top as a result. Very neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, I mean... Yeah, and it it's kind of strange in the sense that like it, it hit me <laughs> probably later than it should have. Um, like just how much of a social butterfly I am when it comes to the internet, especially um, in my first MMO, Shia. Oh, bad MMO. Well, okay, it was fun at first, and then it was like, hey, let's make everyone pay three thousand dollars a month just to like have pretty gear to succeed and not die in pvp in one hit um what is this game it, shia shia it's i don't know if it's around anymore they do have private servers but uh, it was a korean grind mmo uh. um i got very heavy into the pvp uh community um and the kind of cool thing is that they they separated it into like three different pvp servers there's levels 1 through 15 obviously you want to be 15 levels 20 through 30 and then levels 1 through whatever the level cap was and so obviously that was like be the level cap mm. um and i just you know the forums were super active they had what was called a shout box people instantly talk and uh you know chat with each other i just i ended up becoming so involved with that game i ended up i was also what they called a community volunteer which is they called a game sage, which is more or less a glorified slave where you <laughs> free labor. You're yeah. It, it, dude, you have no idea. It, it actually was like at one point the game devs were like, Hey, so uh, we're trying to gather up all the, the text glitches and, and errors in our game. Would you like to make a spreadsheet and let us know all of these errors? And we're like, yeah, let's do it. And it's, we're, we're literally doing like work for them for free. And I'm mad that I was a game sage for an entire year. Um, that game just... <sighs> good memories, but it was very much a game of where guilds had monopolies over world bosses that you needed to compete over to have the best year. And as a sure. result, there were very angry people. <laughs> yeah. And that whole model of MMO, the idea of exclusivity, the idea of kind of a zero-sum arrangement where one person getting something means someone else doesn't get it has kind of really faded in the last 20 years i feel like yeah um i mean I, i'm truly kind of embarrassed i i don't have that much experience with mmos i i stick around so long um i've played shia i played disney's toontown for an entire year that was a fun game but you couldn't <laughs> talk to anyone really they had uh -huh. preset chat options because they assumed everyone was playing was a kid and like it was all teenagers and adults uh, <laughs> so like emotes and stuff like that but no it's yeah, not text chat really. sure it was awful and you had to have like a secret code to give to someone in real life and they would give you theirs so that you could input that into the game to prove that you knew each other in real life and then you could talk for real that's a good system was, though for for kids whose parents for kids, are mediating definitely. their play 
Yeah. But there are no kids. But Toontown was fun <laughs> for adults too. That's what you're saying. You need yes. an after dark server. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. So there was that. And then I went to Shia. And then I went to Star Wars Old Republic. And then I went to Guild Wars 2. Okay. I've played four MMOs consistently. And then I, I jumped into Ion and Fiesta. Uh, and Lord of the Rings online for like one night and Star Trek online for like one night. It just... Sure. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah, get that. Um, Guild Wars 2 definitely is different where there is no, I must fight you over this. Star Wars, like as much as I, I have Star Wars in my heart, like that game, you are just standing around waiting for something to respawn because someone else just killed. Right, right. Yeah, Guild Wars is a unique game in a lot of ways. And... um. I guess one of the, okay, so just to back this up a little bit, one of the things that you mentioned to me is um, got to do with what Guild Wars and Sand kind of means to you on a personal level. Do you want to talk about that a little? Oh, that is such a big, big thing to open. Um, As much or as little as you're cool with. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I feel like... So many people know the story and then yet like the story is always being added to just because it's still happening. It still grows. Right. Um, but obviously I did mention I, I jumped into it um, from that former guild and I actually officially cut ties with that guild when I realized that I was so terrified of them being on the same map with us that I was like, I'm I'm afraid of these people and it's hindering my ability to run a guild that I really care about. So I, when I realized that, I was like, I got to go. Like, you guys are no longer important to me, Sand is. Um, so it was, I didn't, I the former guild of mine, you know, some of it was me projecting my own issues. Some of it was on their leadership. I felt like I was not cut out to run a guild. I felt like I was not cut out to even be an officer in a guild or really have anything to do with an organization of players. I, I felt like, I was doomed to fail. Um, and for like the first two and a half years of sand, like I would literally every birthday I'd be like, wow, guys, like I, I never thought this would happen. And then finally people were like, you got to stop being surprised. This guild's like old enough. And I was like, you're right. You're right. I should stop. So I had to make myself stop. Um, it made me feel good to be able to channel that enthusiasm and excitement of mine because I could not do that for so long in uh, you know, elsewhere in, in another game that I had truly loved so much at one point. And these days, although, I mean, it was happening back then, but uh, my mom has early onset dementia. So yeah. that's sort of a huge part of my identity now. And <laughs> like... You live with her? Yes, I do. Uh, I help me and my dad uh, are sort of a, a team, a unit to help. And then, of course, he hires folks to be there when I'm at school and he's at work. Uh -huh. um, but with That's her, tough. it's like, yeah, she's kind of like a child. I mean, she's very much like a child in the sense that, like, she could do something. And like a child, like if they they stole your candy and you're just like, did you eat the chocolate? And they're literally chewing it and they're like, no, I didn't do it. That that's That's my mom. Um, and she's, How long you know, has this been going on for? Oh, my twin and I reckon that it started before she we were even out of high school, and I'm 28 now. Um, okay. My dad was not on board with the diagnosis for years. Um, my sister and I kind of felt like we were in the twilight zone a lot of the time. Like 
are we the only ones seeing this? Like, is there something wrong with our perception? Um, And it, you know, Guild Wars 2, as many games become for people, was an outlet to go to where I could just feel happy and enthusiastic and explore and experience a map and a game that I loved with people that, you know, I, I take my role probably more seriously than a lot of other folks do as guild leader. It's my job to take care of the people who are there. It's their comfort and their safety and their happiness. And that's on me and those I choose in leadership. And I, I've been on the other end where leadership did not care about that. And it, it had such a destructive effect on my mental health. And as someone, I was a teenager when a lot of this happened and it just, teenagers are very impressionable. Right. Yeah. And it just, it, I had repercussions of it for years and I, it is, it is literally a nightmare of mine to think that there could ever be an issue where something happens with a guild or community I run where someone just feels so ostracized and hurt over something. So I, I log in to have fun and, and sort of feel happy and enthusiastic as much as I log in to make sure that others feel that same way. So it's, it's like a job that I really love. (laughs) Yeah, I can hear that. You really treat sand like a home for people who choose to be there. And it matters a yes, lot definitely. to you that people are happy there. Definitely. And I, yeah. I know I haven't always succeeded. Um, I've no made mistakes. No one gets mistakes. 100% when it comes to these things. Nobody, no. There are, there are jokes made that I'm a robot sometimes just because I have uh, a ridiculous memory for, for uh, names. And I actually I have a notebook right here. I haven't written it in a while, but I I have pages of individual guild members and I write little tidbits that they told me about so that I don't forget. And then I'll look at occasionally to refresh my memory uh, and I will memorize someone's account name so that I can eventually associate all of their alt names with their account name. Wow. And I do that not just with sand members, but with people who are on dry top often and frequently. Um I'm a tangent queen, so just let me know. Like, feel free to just slide <laughs> me back on track. No, this um, is great. Like, it's clear that that this community means a lot to you and everyone in it. And it's that it's really interesting to hear you share because I I had a a parallel but different experience when I was a teenager too, which came a little a little earlier because um, I'm a bit older. And for me, I um my version of sand was a um, a game called Team Fortress Classic, which was a modification for Half-Life 1 shooter game, mm-hmm. team-based. Also, opportunity for collaboration. So what did I do? I made my team, decided to make one um, called Clan. And I really cared a lot about some a lot of the stuff you're saying. Um, the way that game was structured was different. It was competitive, so it didn't come out exactly that way. But I, before very long, all of my experience in Team Fortress Classic was not about being good at the game, it was not about having fun or escaping, but it was about making a good experience and a home for anyone who wanted to be a part of what we were doing. So I completely resonate with what you're talking about. You and I are kindred spirits. I think so. And I think and it's, it's important. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, my internet is just being my internet, Wi-Fi. Yeah, technology. What you going to do? But um, I think that... Throw your computer out the window. <laughs> And, you know, one of the things that, that I'm, I think I'm beginning to realize as I become older and perhaps wiser, perhaps not, it's debatable, is that even the most destructive 
awful leaders of communities in games like this, they're all doing it because they love the game. And they're all doing it out of their own time and voluntary, voluntary resources. And I think people, generally speaking, mean well, and the things they do, they think are for the best. Um, of course, not everyone does it well, and not everyone has the awareness to understand the effect they have mm-hmm. on others, especially when you're doing it through a screen instead of in the same room with someone where there's the whole anonymity factor and and every other thing, inflection of voice. Um, So, but it's important to have these people, these connectors, and that's kind of what I consider myself to be these days, more of a connector type kind of personality. It's why I'm doing this, this show that you and I are on. And I think that there is something when it comes to the medium of video games that is not well understood um, because unlike other artistic mediums like movies or sculpture or theater, the medium is intrinsically formed individually by each person because of the necessity to get your hands on it. You control it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that, that one of the ways I like to think about when people say behave poorly on social media, which there are easy examples of everywhere. <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> yeah. But what I realize when I see some of these things, when I ask myself is, how could someone do that? Don't they know? Like, how stupid can you be? But the reality is, humans have been around for a long time. The internet's only been around for less than the blink of an eye on the human time span. We haven't yet, as a species, figured out what to do with the internet. And how to be connected all the time with everyone. What a burden this is. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see the evolution of the internet um, and its consequences. I mean, we're still going to be feeling them well after I die. Um, And that's fascinating to me. And you're very right about the blink of an eye. Uh, I've been, you know, I'm majoring in anthropology. So one of the huge things that we really sort of nail down is by the way like you're a blink of an eye like here is this tiny 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 sliver and that's how long humans have been around here is this wide wide expanse of time and that's when so many other things were occurring when we were not even there and it's it's humbling and it's fascinating and it's also kind of just like it makes you smile a bit sometimes like i I think it's, you know, you, you see silly videos and memes and, and people doing something stupid for laughs. And it's kind of just like, I think it's cute and it's funny that like we're a species that just does stupid stuff sometimes <laughs> and, you know, learns from their mistakes or doesn't learn from their mistakes. I mean, we are, we're still very much new. Very yeah. new. Yeah, we're all struggling for meaning. and Ah, the existential crisis in us all. Perhaps we're too smart for our own good. (laughs) (laughs) Or not I mean, there's some fascinating things uh, to go along with whether or not culture is genetic, if there's a genetic component to it, actually, because I'm going to get the terms wrong. But until a certain point in the evolution of our ancestors, tools were very similar. They were all very similar across the board. There was no change at all for i believe it maybe a million years not quite that but thousands of years there was no change and suddenly 
bam, there was an explosion of creativity with tools, with how they were utilized, with suddenly there was clearly trade where these different tools were ca- uh, cropping up. And it's like, what caused that? You know, was uh. it the environment? Something changed? Were we just getting smarter? You know, no, our brain capacity didn't change too much. Was it a genetic component? And that's really a theory that can't be proven for probably many, many, many years. But it's a fascinating theory to consider, you know, what began that huge explosion of culture and change and advancement in our ancestors. That's fascinating. I had no idea about that. It blew my mind when I learned it in class last semester. Um, My professor was very honest. He was like, you know, this this class gets harder to teach every year. And I was like, you're right about that. Like, there's something new happening every six months. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. You are getting wiser. (laughs) (laughs) Careful now. It's true. (laughs) So, yeah, it's interesting to hear you share that. So my basic take on the building that I'm sitting in today, which is a multi-level apartment building in a city, is that the reason that I get to sit here and talk to you across metal tubes and enjoy my heat or air conditioning when I need it and sit in my basically custom designed cave just for me is because unlike the cat that I keep as a pet and I love that cat. She's amazing. <laughs> Cutest thing ever. I, watching. <laughs> she was here a minute ago. Ah, oh, she's I went to go find her food dish. But unlike her, I'm able to act out of more than pure instinct. I'm able to direct my action intentionally, which I think is what separates us from animals, I think. Is that an anthropologically sound notion? I just had a brain freeze. Repeat the last 10 seconds of your question. I'm so sorry. I was there and then it just... it. That's felt... okay. I have that effect on people. So... No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I was staring at... I, I Please. One... Not at all. So it's this, um, this sense that I've kind of nurtured over the years that um oh, that's not a good way of putting it it's, it's an idea that i have right or wrong that the thing that separates us from other creatures on earth like the cat that i live with is my example is that when i act it's not out of mere instinct i'm able to focus my my actions with intention and able to consider them both in the future and in the past and that's why i get to live in an apartment instead of whatever cave I can find out in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And that's why I have complex tools, which is what got me thinking about this is what you said about the tool use. Um, it's, I don't know if that's anthropologically sound, but what you said made me think of it. And uh, it's fascinating to consider what changed to separate us from everything else alive. Yeah. And I mean, I, I will be the first to admit, as much as I, I'm majoring in anthropology, my subfield is neither biological nor archaeological uh, uh, anthropology. So I tend to gravitate more towards the cultural and linguistics of today. Um, okay. But I mean, it's I had something I was going to say, and it just I wow, it's the second one I've had like in, in a minute. Just It'll float up. I, was gonna say. I have a question. It'll float up like, yes, go for it. Question is... Have you been able to find any interesting applications of what you're studying in your leadership of sand? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, do tell. Sand is actually the reason, uh, at least a huge reason, why I'm majoring in anthropology now. Um, 
I was sort of one of those, you know, perennial city college kids where I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. So I'm just going to keep going to city college because it's cheap. I can afford it. And yay, class. Um, <laughs> and I ended up taking a cultural anthropology class with a, a stellar professor uh, about three years ago now. And it kind of just, it blew my mind. I remember in a physical anthropology course with another professor, I'm on a tangent here, aren't I? Nope. Um, You're good. The first, one of the first things, and I remember from that class is learning that one of our ancestors of about three and a half, four million years ago, they had the capacity for empathy and to care. Um, I believe mm. it's, you can look it up. It's called the Turkana boy. There was evidence of an abscess, I think, uh, of the skeleton, the skeletal remains. And for someone that age of the with the fossils to have survived, it means that there had to have been people taking care of him and helping him. Interesting. And they, they found evidence of that. And it's just like, I, I thought that was such a beautiful kind of incredible thing. Like, look at what you have evolved from where, uh -huh. you know, at least a couple million years ago, there was an ancestor of ours who had the capacity, whereas, you know, they could not speak verbally they had the the capacity within their brains and you know their heart or their soul if you'd like to say to love and care and and comfort someone who i mean an abscess is really painful so that yeah. i that blew my mind i thought it was the greatest thing ever when i learned that and that was sort of the start and with anthropology especially with cultural a huge part of it is learning about different cultures different languages um learning about humans in various different ways whether it's the biological the ancient the current or the spoken and with sand we have people from different countries different time zones different ideologies politics religion sexuality identity we've, we've got everyone and i'm it it makes me so proud when i i can count on maybe may, barely one hand the amount of times we've had an issue where someone like was really angry about someone's change in opinion or you know different opinion um because folks typically know like just you know we we're about respect here you don't have to agree but you can be respectful and disagree and that's what i expect right. and i've had to learn a lot about diplomacy with sand and to embrace that not everyone experiences or sees the world the same way that some people speak more bluntly than others some do not and that i was i was considered a difficult person in my former guild i was the person that the leadership their butt cheeks would clench up when they saw a message from me like <laughs> oh no what does she want this time that was me um and i kind of reveled in it for a while until i was kind of like wow it's really isolating to be hated <laughs> um, I didn't want sand to be that place. I wanted it to be a place where there could be second and third chances for people who might be considered, you know, difficult by more typical standards. And anthropology is all about that, about, you know, being able to switch your perception to maybe, you know, it, I think it's impossible to truly understand what you've not grown up with culturally. Um, but you can understand it from a certain point of view and you can accept that you have your bias, whereas in this particular situation, it would be a Western bias um, to understand a different culture, but to understand that and know that's happening and respect it and be able to take a step back and really think about 
what's going on and why there could be reasons for this. I mean, yeah. anthropology has helped me and sand has helped me with anthropology. That's really cool. And boy, do we live in an age where respect across different cultures and ways of being and living is needed. Yes, definitely. Especially with the continued, you know, globalization and the trend of connectivity through the internet. Um, it's, I don't think humans know what to do when they're connected to so many different cultures, ideas, and possibilities all at once. Right. And we're seeing negative and positive effects of that. Right. And it's and there was a time where most humans alive never experienced anything other than the culture of their own tribe. Their own home. Yeah. I mean, I, I recall a painter, perhaps. It must have been. I think I went to a museum, an art museum, and the one thing I remember from it was we were we were looking at a painting and that artist had never been beyond the hills of their home and that that oh. was as far as they ever went in their entire life save me i can't remember who the artist was but it was a glorious picture of hills and did that affect their art do you think um that was yeah i think the point was that it did like they they managed to have so many masterpieces and yet they were all sort of simply what that person's imagination could have they'd never you know it was in a time where there was no ability to experience other culture to know the different kinds of architecture and voices and dance and you know flora and fauna that existed elsewhere so the artwork definitely reflected that makes you feel happy to be alive in 2020 doesn't it to have that opportunity and then sometimes I, I've gotten into that line of thinking before and I think, well, you know, I, I when I was younger, I'd be like, oh, man, what would I have done without the Internet? Like, darn, like how boring uh -huh. life must have been for people. And then I'm kind of just like, but you you cannot grasp at what you don't know. Right. You can't miss what you don't know. I mean, back I, I, st I write very heavily in journals. I despite loving technology, I refuse to write out any thing written without I, I must do it on paper first i i have beautiful pens i have expensive pens that are like 199 each for one pen um because the act of writing sort of helps stimulate my imagination my creativity and my thought process sure my hand is never going to be as quick as my mind but like that's how it goes and then i will type it up and edit it only after i have finished writing it all out on paper you know, you aren't the only person I know who prefers to journal handwritten instead of, say, typing or dictating. I think that yeah. there's an intrinsic link between the way, the formation of language and the medium you're using, right? Like you think differently when you're typing than when you're writing, I, I believe. Uh, it's actually, I do want to say it's been proven uh, that the act of writing physically will help your brain remember what you're writing and learning. Right. better than typing will right that is a i think a tried and true academic sort of warning where they say look you can have your laptop in class but uh it's better to take note just bad news for someone like me whose handwriting is god awful <laughs> <laughs> i've literally in the margins before if i'm just like really trying to write quickly i will like basically do shorthand or a symbol and then like tell myself on the paper what it means so that i can just keep doing it on the rest of the paper and then forget about everything Right, right. Yeah, and when you bring up writing too, the other thing that occurs to me is the the principle or the notion that, res that restriction helps inspire creativity. And the act of being forced to channel your thoughts, your thoughts through a pencil or a pen onto paper is a restriction. Oh, yeah. And it, I mean, it, 
it forces you to sort of on the spot, you've got to, you know, I, I understand that not everyone actually has the ability to use their mind's eye, which is like, that's an actual shot to my heart. I didn't know that was a thing until fairly recently. What's the mind's um, eye? I mean, uh, it's, it's, you know, basically where, I mean, right now I'm talking to you, I'm looking at my screen, but I also see a field with green and an apple tree and wind and, you know, someone with wind blowing in their hair. I see clouds in the sky. I see that with my eyes open. So like visualization? Um, visualization, yeah. Visualizing okay. thoughts. And gotcha. some, some are born without being able to do that. And that just, I, I, uh, that makes me angry like that's not fair <laughs> and i do that so much um when i'm writing and I, I must think of different synonyms to to create something stronger more beautiful i'm not going to say that she said i'm going to say she stuttered she screamed she murmured i i want to find as many different ways to explain something as i possibly can Mm -hmm. And having to write it out helps because when you're typing, it's just like, you know, let's do whatever comes first. Right, right. Oh, and this, the term is aph uh, aphantasia. Aphantasia. Is that F or PH? Uh, PH. Condition where one does not possess a functioning mind's eye and cannot voluntarily visualize imagery. First described by Francis Galton in 1880. Largely unstudied. Hm. And that, I, that makes me mad. I want it to be studied. It just... When I was a little girl in like middle school, I would turn on music and I would just spend my favorite, my favorite time of day was going to bed because I would lie in my bed for hours and have an entire storyline going in my head. I still remember those storylines. I still remember scenes. I still remember things said. Um, it's, it's how I visualize so many things. I'm terrified of writing for my characters half the time. Uh, and by half the time, it's more like 95% of the time. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm terrified to put it on paper because I'm like, it's never going to be as good as it is in my head. Right. You have to collapse have to, like the waveform yeah. of that potential to get it onto paper. I totally get I that. Really, I really yeah. wish I could just like transcribe it like perfectly on paper. Like I wish I could draw. Maybe it would be better then. Or some kind of mental upload process, right? Just, just yes, link in like the please. matrix. Yes, yes. We I don't care what the repercussions are. Please just let that be it. So you will be part of the the twenty twenty uh, first century willing uh, cyborg uh, movement, then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm with you. Like, if I can have my wallet as a chip in my arm, I think that would be fine. But then people might like try and steal you. Like, I guess they have to take my arm. I mean, people. Oh, that's already. disturbing. Maybe not. Maybe I'm starting to think like stories of organ stealers but actually that's a fun fact i'm not going to get into that that is a thing the black market for organs is a thing but i do want to say um there's actually there's an anthropologist trying to study it where i i cannot recall for the life of me where it was but there was a country and uh, specifically an area in the country where people were terrified of going to the doctor because they were told stories that they would go there and the doctors would take their organs and hurt them and kill them. And there was an extensive search, extensive investigation. There was no evidence. It, it didn't happen, but these were such pervasive fears uh, and rumors and stories that were passed down. And an anthropologist was trying to get to the bottom, you know, why does this persist? Why do these kinds of rumors happen? And what 
do they, you know, what purpose do they serve? And what they discovered was that in part, the purpose was that a lot of them felt helpless as it was that they would go to the doctor and they, there was, you know, they wouldn't be listened to or they wouldn't have the money. And so why go to the doctor anyway? Now there's a reason for it because the doctors are bad. Um, sure. It's just, it's humans are fascinating with how they, they cope and the storytelling and right yeah right Sorry. the story fits the feeling <laughs> that's interesting yeah no you're right people need stories to unite them and to help describe their own realities i think that's the reason people tend to uh unite around certain say popular figures or think of politicians mm -hmm. or beloved celebrities i Absolutely. was talking with somebody about um keanu reeves the phenomenon that is keanu reeves oh, on the internet yes. where he is mm -hmm. he is just the uh, immortal uh, f favorite child of everyone can do no who, who has wrong. a social media account basically and it's just because he's he's a well-known guy who's been in some beloved movies who tends to live humbly and has never done anything especially terrible and has done a few nice things people know about and just being that guy like he, he's the kind of guy you want to have over when you're moving you know the kind of person mm -hmm. you want to go to when you're feeling bad and yes. people people see that thing in their life that they want in that and they that it there's a communal storytelling um and again that's also part of the the it links back to that phenomenon of connectivity with everything um we live in such a new age when it comes to all this stuff the, the sheer weight of the stuff that we have no idea about just is just stunning i think oh i agree it's it's stunning and terrifying um, but also inspiring it's exciting to think about yeah and then it kind of just you realize it it just blows your mind yeah at least it does for me Wow. Well, maybe this is a good point to transition to something a little less heavy. Miranda, actually, um, <laughs> would you like to pause for a couple of minutes and we'll come right back? Oh, that would be lovely. I need water. Okay. Okay. I'll uh, see you in five minutes. See you in five minutes. Okay. And we're back. That was a really nice break. Like, you were right. Yeah. Like, it was a good idea. Yeah. It's good to pace oneself, I think. Yes. Got to remember the people behind the mic are humans, too. Sometimes you need to drink some water. Sometimes you need to let some water go in my case, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was me too. <laughs> so, okay. Talking about Sand. Sand is a Guild Wars 2 guild. Guild Wars 2 is a game. Guild Wars 2 has been through some rough times lately. We're in the middle of what's called the Ice Brood Saga, or that's what Arena mm -hmm. Net is calling it. Um and it's been proposed as an alternative to expansions and evolution of the previous living world formula, which is their episodic release structure. Have you, are you currently um, up on all the recent Ice Brood story stuff? Are you current with the game? Yes, I'm current with the game. Okay. I kind of stopped paying attention after the end of the previous season the, with the big conclusion with Orin turning crystal and all that stuff, which was amazing, mm -hmm. by the way. It was gorgeous. Uh, at the time, I actually recorded some thoughts and made a little video pointing out how this really felt like the end of Guild Wars 2, and it's not clear where to move on from there. I actually went to the Moore Theater back in August last year when they were announcing the next thing. I did the Ice Brood reveal. I remember feeling a little bit <laughs> underwhelmed, and then mm -hmm. now we've had some, some new story drops come out. So 
I haven't played them yet. How do you think they've been? Um, I mean, the most recent, uh, I don't do great with horror in games. And I, I feel disappointed with myself because there's some really great horror games out there that I feel like I'm absolutely missing out on story, not playing them. Um, so obviously the latest chapter was not like jump out of your seat, run away from the room screaming. Um, but it was kind of, it was creepy. Like they had, you know, the, the cello and the violin the music and, uh-huh. um, there was some really kind of eerie stuff and I, I I hope this isn't a spoiler for you because it was really cool when I realized it. Okay. Spoiler so, for everyone as of which episode is this a spoiler for? Shit, what episode is it? It's gotta Someone be episode one that. or zero. Zero was the, uh, the party episode. One was the icy the pro- that was the prologue. And then the second one was the ice brood like saga beginning. Okay. I don't remember what it was called. This is so embarrassing. Okay, I think it's we'll episode one, that. I think. Yes. So there's okay. that. And you go into, uh, you know, Zora Marches. And one of the things you get right off the bat is, like, there's something wrong, like, with people, with the map, with the atmosphere. Um, and as you go around the map, you realize that there's a voice whispering to your character, telling you to sleep, to give up, that they want to kill you that you must kill them um and you will go you will come across npcs just sitting in the freezing snow and you you talk to them and they're like i'd like to sleep now and then you're, you're trying to convince them no no you're you're gonna freeze out here no you're right i i just need to rest for a bit no please listen to me don't listen to the voice you're right i i just need a moment and they die eventually they get like 50 stacks of frozen and they flip over dead yikes um it's freaky um i loved it i was on that so map it successfully hours. spooked you it successfully spooked me it really did and they're going to have some really cool horror elements with that um they actually killed off one character pretty quickly um and the way they did the voice acting they stunted it and made it sound a little strange like there's something not right here Turns out it was actually because, you know, the person was already dead when they were talking and the dragon was just talking through their voice, which is just kind of like, ugh. But it happened. And yeah, I I really liked it. Uh, the meta is, mm, I I very rarely feel like AFKing during events because that's not fair to people. But after a few times of that event, it's kind of just like, wow, we've got to like fight ads for like 10 minutes and just fight ads woo! i'm like that's it um uh, and Brenda, then can i pause you, you for one sec i have yeah, a little audio it. issue i want to tweak it real quick just one moment mm-hmm. okay hopefully that's better i i mean it could be my wi-fi i hope not but no it's already better it's not you it's on my end okay. but you were saying that the uh the new big zone wide event for episode one has is encouraging you to disapp- afk I, I, I don't do it personally, and I, I do not encourage it. My lovely Sandys, if you're listening, please don't do it. It, it just, at least love tap things every now and then. Don't AFK. Your phone. <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it, it was kind of, it, it's not a lot of loot really at the end, and you fight champions afterwards, and it's got a cool mechanic, which I was hoping they'd do, and they did it, where you're going to freeze to death, sort of you turn into an icicle like you freeze and you're an ice cube if you get 20 stacks of this so you have to run to these shrines to heal yourself and protect yourself or you basically just like 
get into an icicle and you have to bash yourself out or someone else has to bash you out. And so I thought that was cool. Like you have to find shelter in this blizzard before you freeze and turn into an ice cube. I, I love that. I've always liked just ice and snow in general. Mm -hmm. I'm weird. Like when I was a kid, we'd play X-Men as kids and I was Isilon with <laughs> ice powers. That was me. So I'm all about ice. And I, I just thought that was so cool. Like how dramatic can that be for storytelling where like, wouldn't it be incredible if the commander just like some shit goes down and the commander's like lost in this eerie forest where someone is like slowly turning into a cannibal and wants to eat everyone also a thing on the map just saying um and you're just like freezing to death and the other characters are like we must save the commander i personally love it when stories put your main character in a position where they're helpless or they're not invincible and obviously that's a really really fine line to tread in mmos and games because the person playing wants to be involved and feel like they're a major part of the game yeah but there's an issue that's I, arguably plagued Guild, War, plagued Guild Wars yeah. 2, where they have a broad audience and they don't want to turn anyone off from the game, so they've tuned it so that really anybody can get through the majority of the content. Mm -hmm. And um, it's interesting to hear from you about the, the the report that folks are AFKing through the meta event. I think I've seen a Reddit post about that. It seems like if you can set up an event so that people can AFK through it, I don't know, like, does someone have to actually do something? or How does it work? I mean, I don't need to know the mechanics, but I guess the question I'm asking myself is, um, does Guild Wars ask too little of its players? That's, I really, that's a question I don't know if I could answer myself. Um, I mean, I have thoughts about sort of communities within the game, but that's sort of where, I don't know. Sure. I've never, I've never asked myself that question before. That's yeah. intriguing. Well, just from from my angle, um, it's an issue that's been on my mind for a while because I think part of what has made the episodic release format that that, that ArenaNet's doing less and less compelling over time is just the idea that it doesn't require any agency of mind to really get through. It's just mm -hmm. like turning on a movie and it's over in a reliable amount of time. Um, so. But you know that's, that's actually why I like dry top. <laughs> that's but dry top biggest. adds a social layer to it because you have to cooperate. Like oh, you cut out. Oh, um, sorry about that. Me. So it's my internet. I think what differentiates most of the episodic content with Guild Wars, where you're going through a story and instances, and there are set piece battles, and the easiness of that bugs me, whereas the easiness of something like dry top doesn't, because the point of dry top is cooperation and it inherently dilutes the individual agency of each person and that's okay because you want to have 40 people working together not one person who masters something um you know one of the things that i've been paying attention to with guild wars is the community perception of it and over time and just the, the the reality that it's it's driven so hard i feel by um the necessity to push gem store sales and sometimes to me, it feels like the content that gets made is just the bare minimum of what's needed to get people to log in and buy gem store stuff. And maybe that's cynical. Maybe that's just me playing for 3000 hours and being done with it. Do you have a thought on that? Um, I suppose as someone who does not have money really to spend on gems, it, it doesn't 
it does not come center focus for me too often. I have been a little, I'm, I'm irritated that like when I log in every Tuesday, like the little lion is like, hey, by the way, there's something new. I'm not going to stop being highlighted until you click this. That bugs me a lot. I just yeah. like, I, I don't like having things that aren't clickable away and like they just stay there. Right. But right. I, it's not too hard to please me sometimes with certain things i'm a huge critic for some things like i you cannot get me to watch 95 percent of anime and i, I love anime i just won't watch 95 percent of it Fair um much. but when it comes to games i really love i i i kind of you know i i recognize a shift and a change in feeling it's just hard for me to really nail down like how to encompass it and discuss it wholly i i don't have I don't quite have the words, I suppose. It, it's that I, I can't really judge any of my previous actions with the gem store because I've very rarely ever had gems. <laughs> Fair enough. One of the things about Guild Wars 2 that's kind of unique is that you can actually accrue the, the premium gem currency by just playing mm -hmm. the game, right? That's how by, I've done it. Right. And I think that you're, you're in good company there. I think a, a large number of people who play Guild Wars engage with it that way where they're, they're accruing well so that they can buy the, the premium gem store stuff. Um, that, that sense you described of not, of knowing when a turning point happens, but not how, how to describe it. Can you think of any of those turning points you've had with like Guild Wars 2 or can, another game? but they're not necessarily connected with the gem store. Oh, that's, that's okay. I'm just curious. Um, I suppose for me, you know, sort of going back to my my love and my interest in community and it's almost embarrassing to talk about it sometimes because folks are like oh you're you're so cheesy like you can't be genuine i'm like no but i really am like let's talk about this let's have fun why are you upset like <laughs> that's me um and then i can be moody and grouchy and terrible but you know so as can we all definitely humans are so multifaceted it's frustrating <laughs> but i I feel strain and I feel discouraged sometimes. I love sand. I love Guild Wars 2. And I I have endless enthusiasm for Dry Top and our work. It it makes me so happy. I, I so happy when someone comes into the Dry Top map and they're like, you know, I, I really wasn't having fun on this map, but you guys, I stumbled upon your map and wow, like my mind has been changed. And I'm just like, yes, like wonderful I, I hope i see you next time i'll remember your name so that i remember if you come back um i feel stress and strain because i don't feel that arena net encourages the in-game content creators you know we we've had scares on the reddit where a content creator through you know a streamer on twitch or youtube they're like, well, guys, I'm, I'm going to quit. I'm not doing this anymore. And they go. And it's just kind of a riot on Reddit for a couple of days where folks are just, you know, very cynical about, you know, what the implications are. And I get that. Um, but I, I sort of started wondering, like, gee, like, what happens when guilds that run in-game content disappear? Is it, do people just someday not notice? Or do they really think about it the same way that they consider the impact of, you know, YouTube video content creators and streamers. Guild Wars yeah. 2 is, what, is over seven years old now, right? Uh, yeah, seven and change. Yeah, and Dry Top is a very sort of, a lot of people don't like the map, and it 
it is probably one of the more difficult maps teamwork wise and organization and i'm so proud when i hear that like a pug group a pug map got like tier five out of tier six i'm just like yes like you've been taught well my acolytes go forward um (laughs) And that's, you know, part of it is because we're such a consistent presence on that map. You can't help but learn how to do certain things. It's been probably over a year since Guild Wars 2's Twitter has retweeted any of our events. Mm. Um, the first couple years that we were active, uh, I mean, it really felt like a lot of the developers were excited about what we were doing. You know, they're invigorating this map. You know, this is so cool what you guys do. I... I got to meet uh, a developer. I'm not going to name drop them just because, but um, I met a developer at one of their events in Seattle three years ago, four maybe, somewhere around there. And they they were so excited to meet me. Like they were, they did a double take to meet me. And I was just like, wow, like that's, what? Like, that's a no, cool moment. It is. And like, I was kind of like, I needed to sit down and they were like, do you need a chair? I was like, no, I just... I need a moment like this is really strange for me and I (laughs) it's not the first time I've had people consider sort of a you know wow you're you're moon you're the crazy dry top lady I'm like that's me (laughs) 85,000 geodes and change um sorry I'm tangent are you still number one on geodes oh good lord yes let me I'm gonna just go let's do efficiency real quick and go to stats and geodes are the main currency you get out of playing dry top that's the main reason to go there for a lot of people and because you're the leader of a dry top guild you have the most geodes of anyone in guild wars 2 which is eighty-five thousand one hundred and fifty-seven, and i actually have more than that the website just hasn't updated and the second highest is forty-eight thousand eight hundred and twenty. oh my god what are you gonna do when you hit 100k you're gonna celebrate i'm going to celebrate i'm gonna like give stuff away hopefully i'll have like money then and i'll just do like here guys like gem store giveaway like this that like make it rain like ridiculous yeah. stuff and just you should do a big I'm event that would be awesome party. i'll probably drink it's been a while since sand has seen me tipsy oh yeah the the tipsy dry tops are my favorites i was upside down in my chair that first year and i i don't know how i ended up that way and <laughs> someone i in I am, I drunk invited someone to the guild and they're still in the guild to this day. I don't remember adding them. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I didn't ask them to go look at the website, but they're in the guild and they have stayed this entire time. Um, yeah, I, I went on a tangent there, but that's humans do that. Communication that's is hilarious. Messy. <laughs> yeah, of it's, course. Yeah, like I, I have never topped the first year of our birthday. I've never, it's just never gotten to that point again. <laughs> Well, maybe for a hundred k, we could do something bigger. What do you think? Oh gosh, yeah. Although do you think I you'll will hit it this careful. year? Yes. Oh God, yes. Oh yes. I don't have a good I sense had... of how fast that stuff adds up. I mean, for every two hours of dry top with our guild and with organized T six, it's a little over four hundred geodes, give or uh-huh. take. And I am literally so obsessed with dry top. I will go out there and run T four sandstorms. Uh, which is the basic main meta event that you're building up to for the first 40 minutes. Um, I will just run those and like answer questions and help with achievements. And sometimes if I have nothing to do in the game, I will park myself where an event is and just farm the event and watch Netflix because life is so interesting for me. (laughs) 
I totally respect the comfort of getting your grind MMO on your one one screen and getting Netflix on your other screen. Like that's I don't have two screens. I literally tab in and out. Oh I'm no. Terrible. Oh no. We need to hook you up, Miranda. And then my dad has like a three screen setup for his online racing simulator and I'm just like extremely jealous. Like a triple widescreen situation? Triple widescreen. And oh, it helps as cool. well because he's a teacher, so he can have you know, he does what's called um IEPs, individualized education plans. He's got, you know, the left turn screen, left turn. The left screen is IEPs, middle screen, he's like working on something and typing it out, right screen, he's got his email up. It works, man. Like every teacher deserves a setup like that. And so do I. No, I'm just kidding. You do. Um, you do. Well, you you're a teacher and a teacher of dry top. I guess so. I I feel terrible though. It's another thing, you know, blew my mind with my anthropology professor how he he incorporated various learning methods because not everyone learns the same, but most teachers only use one type of method. And really, I mean, you can't expect perfection from teachers because it's it's not possible no one can have there's no perfect student either uh but he would basically talk it out he'd write it on the board and then he'd also just he was it was fascinating he'd incorporate like two or three different learning methods so that he'd try and encompass as many students as possible so they could learn the best way possible i am guilty of not always doing that with dry top we've had i think two dry top training runs and we've been going for four and a half years um i am very much a person i'm i don't want perfection if you're in dry top if you are willing to step up and tag up for an event or help with an event that's all i want i'm happy you have made me happy like you're my best friend um <laughs> so i i have literally taught people how to do event circuits 10 minutes before we start it's very fly by the seat of your pants and i as someone who's anxious myself, I absolutely realize that that is not a great way for someone who's super anxious to learn. And I I get so mad at myself for doing that. And yet I, I still find I just don't quite make the time for the training runs like I should. We have a guide on our website, but I do need to parse through it. And some sure. of it's probably outdated. It just, I am a teacher who needs to do better. <laughs> and we can always improve. And being a teacher is tough work. I have a lot of respect for the teachers out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting you say that about getting people involved. Um, I think I've helped out a few times. and But for someone like me, who I, I feel pretty confident when it comes to stepping into those roles, it mm -hmm. like getting 10 minutes of instruction is, just, is more than I need for the most part. So I can see why that approach might not work for everybody. And also your point about um, learning styles is particularly interesting because, or to me, because um, I too, you know, went through school and thankfully I'm done with it. I'm not a big fan of school as an adult. Actually, I wasn't a fan of it when I was in school either. But um, I, <laughs> I happen to be very lucky in that the primary, the primary mode that my teachers used to teach was one that worked well for me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a very good learner um, when it comes to listening. I do very well in lectures. Um, so, and I'm also have a really good short-term memory so I can cram really effectively. So it worked for me, but I, I know a lot of people who are smart people, capable adults who just didn't do well in school because the way that they learn wasn't really respected. Yeah, and it's, it's 
kind of one of those things that they're only still just doing more research about it to really understand that you've got to try and be flexible. And so to the student, the emphasis is really put on the student more these days. I took a, a class where the entire point was to learn good study habits and learn how to be, you know, an effective college student. And I'm just like, <laughs> I am still working on that. But um, the, the entire point was the professor said, look, you can't choose your teachers, so you have to adapt yourself to them. And that was that was what he said. Like, that was kind of just the status quo. You must adapt yourself to the teacher. Yeah. Um, and that made sense to me for the longest time. The older I get, I'm more just like, that's not really fair. Yeah, well, it's interesting. And you're right. It's inherently not fair because it means some people who are lucky get better outcomes than those who aren't. I've been um, out of academia for a while, but I have jumped into corporate America with my job and mm -hmm. run into much the same phenomenon where there's an inherent unfairness in the way that some people are rewarded or not rewarded for their work and their efforts. Um, but the trick that has worked for me is kind of a simultaneous embrace of saying, okay, understand what is valued here. You can think of it as playing the game to some extent. And while also understanding what works for me and how I can shape it towards something that works better for me over the long term. Now with your job, especially if it's a creative job or a collaborative one, you can have an impact and shape your role and shape your team a little bit. But as a student, it doesn't really work that way, I guess. You don't have much power as a student. Yeah, man. I am I'm learning that more every day. Although I locked out this semester, I, I really have quite cheap textbooks. <laughs> like I'm in a class quick, like this will be quick. I'm in a class where it's, it's a beginning film class for doing visual anthropology, as in instead of writing a paper, we're going to create a five minute film about our chosen subject. Cool. And so it's for beginners, like you don't have to know anything. <clears throat> Pardon me. And he's using a textbook that's from 97. So, Ouch. you know, it's a little outdated, but we're lucky the campus has some really good equipment uh, that he knows really well, the professor. So, so it's, a, yeah. it's a class about making a video that's based on 20-year-old mm -hmm. technology? There, there's a podcasting class at, on campus, too. Like, oh. I just learned that. That was the coolest thing. Like, oh my gosh, we're in the 20, you know, yes. <laughs> Podcasting class. I should take that class. <laughs> Seriously. But That's pretty uh, yeah, cool. and you're you're learning how to create a film about your subject. He he showed us some films and one of them was about selective mutism. Another was um about a woman who rode a motorcycle and she was, it's sort of about her group within a specific county and that kind of culture. And um, they're just short five minute films. Some of them have gone on to make a little bit of money and won awards, but a lot of them haven't. So yeah, I have not, he, he was very clear. Like this, this class will challenge you. If you don't think you can do it, drop now. And I'm just like, Oh, you don't pull any punches. Turn down the gauntlet like, straight off. Ugh. Yeah. And it's collaborative, so you've got to get into groups of three, and everyone has to decide on one subject. And everyone in the room, literally he went through like all 22 of us, had a different idea for a potential subject. And I was just like, this is, this is going to be hard. Like, somehow we're going to have to organically form teams, because that's what he wants us to do. He doesn't want to have to assign our teams. We must form them. 
naturally. And I'm just like, no one's going to want to let go of their idea. Like no one. So we'll see. That's interesting. Have you picked a topic? I, I have one. Um, but I don't, my professor seemed interested in it, but I don't know how feasible it would be for others to be interested in it. I, you know, I'm sorry to go back to this. Just, um, being, you know, in part a caretaker for my mom has become, you know, a huge shard of my identity. Sometimes I'm kind of just like, what happens when it's gone? Like, oh my gosh, like shattered, but not really. Um, I want to do, you know, maybe a, a, a short film about specifically daughter caretakers uh, and potentially those who are younger. I have been in many, you know, I've met many people. I'm in a support group and I am the youngest by far by about 25, 30 years, wow. which is fine. We all, we all are experiencing roughly the same thing. But with me, I did not, I didn't have a great relationship with my mom. Um, for a long time, you know, I was very much the bratty teen. Like my parents tried to limit my computer use and they'd hide the mouse like in their room. I'd just wait till they went to bed and I knew where they hid it. So I'd just sneak into their room while they're sleeping and like pull it out from under the pillow while their head is on the pillow. And I just like, (laughs) I, I wouldn't go to bed. I'd, I'd be like up till four in the morning doing whatever I pleased. So yeah, not a great teenager. Don't emulate me. But, um, suddenly it was like, Oh no, like I'm, I'm never going to have that great relationship with my mom anymore. And I have feelings of anger and resentment and guilt that not a lot of the older folks in the group really reflect because they're in a different place in life. They're in a different place with the people they're taking care of. So my hope, very, very tremulous hope is, is to be able to do a film on that. And my professor was like, Oh, it could even be a film about you. And I was like, ah, that'd probably be a little self-centered like you say it not me um but the problem is that like i don't know anyone else my age except my sister so you know (laughs) sure yeah well that's a heavy topic and i really get what you're saying about being in a different place in life um you know reality is the lens that we see through Um, i mean uh, we we perceive reality through the lens of our experience and Mm -hmm. folks who are taking care of their disabled parents um i'm sure it must be much different for them to come at it from a perspective of i've of i got to know my mother as an adult or my parent my father as an adult versus um what you're going through which i can only imagine um i i know one other person who's had a similar experience and who shared it a little bit about it with me and the the sense of of grieving from lost time is uh for real and it's got to be hard to deal with that and i don't know what else to say but i i get how i think i have some glimmer of how hard that is i hope i no, do and i i appreciate it i think you do you the the lost time is probably the right combination of words to to get it on you're on the you're on the and uh, i mean the support group is great in the sense that like they know i'm that younger person they know i'm going to be angry sometimes they know that I, I cuss like a fucking sailor there and they don't care. It's, it's people from everywhere, probably folks who don't like cussing and they're okay with it. And we're all going through it. And they, I'm kind of like their little, their little kid that they take care of. I actually, oh my gosh, 
one of them sent me, they called me and said, gave me a voicemail. I haven't even listened to it yet. I've been so busy. I'm just, oh, I must do that later. But yeah, yeah. Um, lost time is the right word for it because a lot of people in the group have had years and years, happy years with their husband or wife or mother or father. And for me, I'm kind of just like, well, damn, like, I guess you really fucked up by being a terrible teenager and struggling with issues like that. And it's like, it's not my fault. And I know it's not. I was a difficult teenager because of mental health issues. Uh, my twin is, we're fraternal, but my twin is a successful drummer in a band. Uh, she lives in Seattle. Um cool. She's, she's, you know, so a DM successful... me her band's name after this. I'd love to get yeah, it. Yes, definitely. Um, she's a successful studio and touring drummer. She works very hard. The musician life, I've, don't glamorize it out there. It It's hard. She is For not real. home a lot. Um, she often, you know, really needs to scrape to make, make ends meet. Um, but I, you know, I grew up sort of comparing myself to her in the sense that she was always far more popular than I was. Um, which is sort of where the internet came in, where I could be my own self on the internet and people gravitated towards me here, whereas in real life, everyone gravitated towards my sister. And I, I love my sister to death. I, I'm so stupid proud of her. Like, Sand has heard me talk about her so often. Yep. Like, I am sure I've linked stuff about them before and, and videos, but it is hard. You know, I sort of the best way to describe it is working fast food several years ago, like my first job when I was 20 or 21. And I'm in the, fa you know, I'm, hey, how are you? Welcome to such and such. Oh, thank you here. You know, I, I would raise my voice higher because people are nicer to you when you sound younger, like, uh -huh. for real. Um, oh, hey, I, I know you. You're Amanda, right? It's Miranda. Like my name tag says, oh, oh, yeah, you're Sheridan's twin. Oh, shoot. I name dropped her. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> she'll she'll be. Um, She's used to the so, the limelight. Yeah. Um, you're 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 Sheridan's twin. I'm like, yeah, that's me. And I I was always sort of remembered as her twin, Amanda, when my name is Miranda. Um, and that was sort of just you know, share. She knew, and it frustrated her, and it made her sad. Um, so I, I never talk about it anymore because I'm much older now. I am my own person, and I am so incredibly proud of her like if i could just like make a living talking about her i'd do it like <laughs> i would but um i forgot the original point of this tangent oh lord I'm the point was the tangent i think the point but was are, the tangent but there are a couple of of cool things that that you just said that i want to reflect back to um let's do that the uh no i'm the one who's having the brain fart um the thing about having a sibling who's kind of out there in the limelight, like, I think it's really cool that she's, first off, being a musician, it, it's hard to have a more understandable, like, public image in mm -hmm. Western society, I think. Like, everyone knows how to interact with a the musician. They're out there. Um, so, yeah, I can kind of understand why you might feel, like, for, like, uh, that your identity would be would be a, a reflection of hers to some extent, but it's really cool that the internet has come in, like you said, and provided you an avenue that works for you to explore what's meaningful, which based on everything you've said, sounds to me like, like, um, like connection, like, 
um, compassion, like um, understanding and um, kind of the idea of almost like an extended family. Absolutely. Um, sand is, I mean, specifically sand uh, is basically my second family. Um, I mentioned before how serious I take my role. It's important to me to be delicate with my family and to love them and take care of them because I, there are certain emotions I cannot really have. My mom with dementia is very prone. She may not understand why she's feeling something, yeah, but she will have it and she does not have the capacity to handle that emotion in a healthy manner. If I'm angry and upset, it will stress her out and she's headed towards a tantrum. If I'm happy and giggling, she's going to be happy and giggling. But for me, I struggle to to be happy and giggling with her. I, I, I can't do it. I don't know why I can't. I suppose I feel disingenuous. But I mean, we hit like the jackpot the other day. The caretaker was like, I discovered that she likes the voice. So she found a YouTube channel where it's just the voice, like, every single season my mom loves it she listens to them singing and she she sits there and just so happy and clapping her hands because a lot of the time she thinks she's actually there like she doesn't realize it's a tv uh. um so yeah there's that um and i'm able to be happy and you know sort of just carefree with sand my my second family whereas with my real family i must be measured my dad and i are very much we have to work as a unit to take care of my mom i mean literally my dad and i take turns like okay are you gonna have headphones on right now yeah okay so i'll, I'll go in the living room and you know we if, we if one of if we both have headphones on we, we can't hear what my mom is doing so, so one he of must us be covering to, for you right now he is he is and he will be doing a race in a few minutes. I don't think he's going to have his headphones on, though. But, um, yeah, okay. I, I've covered for him where he does competitive races online with, uh, you know, colleagues or friends. And, you know, my job is to be in full view of my mom because she she likes going out the door sometimes. She doesn't go anywhere as of yet, but she will, like, open that door and be like, it's cold today. I'm like, yeah, it's winter. So, you know. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, a heavy it, responsibility. I can only it, imagine. Sand has been a safe place for me to be more open about it. I understand that it's such a hard topic for some people, but for me, my mom got worse and things deteriorated with my family because people didn't talk about it um, at all. And I think it's important to normalize discussing something like that. It's still a huge stigma, especially with older generations where the belief is that Dementia is the ultimate consequence of aging, and it's not. Not everyone gets it. So people are afraid to talk about it because that's they think that's what it's inevitable. Right. So, it's a storytelling thing where if you talk about it, yeah, it becomes real. Exactly. And I just I want to talk about it. I you know, I think you can tell I'm I'm pretty blunt and I, I can be sarcastic about it, um, which is sort of a bit of my coping. You know, I with friends, close friends who know me well, I'm like, oh yeah, my, I live with my crazy mom. Like, I don't mean it disparagingly, like she's crazy and I hate her. I, her brain is literally, you know, disintegrating. Uh, she doesn't understand that what she sees on the TV is, is not in her room with her. Um, so it's, it's important for me to be able to let others, oh, what am I trying to say? 
I think it's good to be open about a lot of topics. And therefore, if I am open about it, if I, if I have that, if I let people know it's okay, then they'll feel a little better about doing it, whether it's with Sandy's and our community or with their own family and friends, because we lack so much communication in this day and age. We, we have so much nuance that we miss and so much fear about opening up. I, it is terrifying to be vulnerable with people. I know that. I, everyone knows that fear. And I think to normalize talking about more difficult subjects within a reasonable context, within reasonable limits, is a good way to go forward. Wow. Couldn't put it any better myself. It took I totally me a agree. Bit, but I got there. <laughs> That's what it's all about. That's a big part of what what you just described is a big part of what drives me to have these conversations. Um, I can't put myself in your shoes, and they are clearly unique shoes with very real issues. For me, growing up with with games, I, I share some of that. The anecdote you shared about the mouse being hidden from you and going to get it. I have my own version <laughs> of that anecdote. and um, But I suppose as someone who was kind of a savant at school and just never did poorly ever, no matter what I did. I and, envy you. Oh, man. Oh, like, I'm one of the lucky ones. But here's the thing that happened to me. It swung back hard in college. Um, I won't go into too much detail. but So video games were a child's thing. And if I was to become a well-integrated adult, I would get rid of them. I would stop playing them. And basically, um, any kind of parenting issue that kind of I actually interacted with, actually interacted with, with my parents about past a certain age became about gaming and playing games or sitting at the computer. So mm-hmm. for me, actually... Two things happened after high school, one which, is, one which is I went to college, which is a lot more like the real world than high school, and basically flamed out. Um, never finished college. Uh, it was a, a slow train wreck for me. And uh, at the same time, I also got involved in that Team Fortress Classic clan I told you about, which became very real. And all these years later, although I'm still paying debt on those degrees I never earned, um, the experiences I have from that time of making that home, making that place, and the reality of those connections and sharing meaning with those people persists with me. So I absolutely agree. And it sounds like having that during that, you know, that train wreck that you were struggling through was sort of absolutely important in keeping you grounded in a sense and, and being able to look back on it, not totally with frustration and anger with yourself or any number of situations. I kind of look back on my former selves as kindly as I can, because he didn't know as much as I do. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Very true. And um, I don't wish any of it could have gone differently because all the things that happened made me the person I am today. I know that's kind of cliche, but there it is. No, it's, it's true. I, I understand that I was say I don't, I don't think sand would exist if I didn't go through sort of, at least for me at the time, who I was then, sort of terrible experiences with my former guilds. Um, I I don't know if I would have ever felt the need to jump into Guild Wars 2 and find new people and experience new things. I don't know 
if sand would exist without that chapter in my life. And that's, that's daunting for me to think about, you know, the what ifs that sort of pop up into your head. And it's helped me make peace with it because I am, I love sand. Like I don't, I'm so grateful to have this beautiful gaming community in my life and have met so many people. I, I, I go into any map in Guild Wars 2 and I am so lucky to recognize a name almost every time I'm there. I, I recognize someone. I may not I may not know them personally, but oh hey, I, I remember you, you went to Dry Top, you know, like six months ago or something. It just you feel that connection even if, you know, it's it's only just for a moment, just for a little tiny blip. Yeah. And it's the same way in the real world. A particularly <laughs> nice cashier someone you bump into on the street yes. at a bus stop, even someone you and run it, into every day at class. It totally matters. And I I had an experience like that uh, last week. You know, I I was driving home from school and they were there, there were construction workers out. I think they were working on uh, one of the uh, side lane, one of those lanes. And I was, you know, getting to the on-ramp for the freeway and he was, you know, right near me because I was on the furthest to the right. So he was just walking, you know, right there. And I turned and I, I smiled at him. And for a moment, like it was almost a beat, like I wasn't sure. And then he smiled back and it was like the best, most genuine smile. And I was like, you know, damn, like I, I hope his day maybe is going to be a little better. And like I got onto that on ramp with a smile on my face, like hoping that, you know, someone who's working really hard, you know, construction work is hard, it's dangerous. Maybe his day is just like a little bit better to get him through the day where he can think about maybe one happier thing at night instead of stress about waking up, you know, four in the morning to go back to a construction job or, you know, bills or stress with family, what have you. It was like, it had been a while since I'd had a moment like that. And it, it absolutely happens in real life. And you're, I just, I get you. I know where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool little reminder of, of your humanity. That's really nice. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. We well, have talked about so much. Oh my gosh. We have. Do you want to like been... broach the subject of Star Wars before or? I feel like I'd be teasing people if we didn't talk a little bit about Star Wars. I certainly am curious to know what you think mm-hmm. about it. Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. The rise. So, so are we going to do full spoilers or not spoilers? How do you want to handle it? I will go, I, I won't go full spoilers. Um, right. I've been that poor person who's just like, I can't watch this movie for like the next two months. I only got to see it because a friend took me and I was like, look, you know, I can't pay for it. Right. And they were like, I don't care. Like, let's go see the movie. And I was kind of just like, I don't deserve you. I really don't. I don't. Um, I really don't deserve them. Um, and I got to go see it because like we just, he bought the tickets on you know adam which is a really cool app that i kind of want to use anyway and we got to see it and i got to see it i think maybe like a week and a half after it came out and in my situation it was going to be at least like a month and a half till i could see it otherwise so the first time i saw it i actually didn't know what to feel like i hadn't even seen the last couple trailers Uh so i really went in not knowing what to expect um the first time I didn't like it as much as I hoped I would. And then I went to see it a second time and it all sort of fell into place and I feel better about it. I am perhaps in the minority where at least the arc for Luke, it actually makes sense to me that he turned into, you know, this this recluse, this hermit who is frustrated and angry with his missteps. I 
I couldn't even imagine the pressure that Luke must have been under where he's literally the last, you know, Jedi learning under, you know, Master Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he's just got to build from the ground up. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. The chosen one. Yeah. And, and to, to make a mistake, even for just a split second and, and let down his, his best friend, his sister and like his nephew, like, oh my gosh, I, that would break me. Yeah. break anyone um so i was never upset with what they did with luke it, it made sense to me um and i think it mirrors real life and that reality is not always pretty and obviously star wars is like you know it's a sci-fi opera western sci-fi thing with lasers so right. not everyone's watching it for that and i get that and that's okay that's valid but for me i really enjoy that I mean, for me, the force—it's—it's it's sort of a cycle of a, you know a balance of of push and pro- shove, ebb and flow, and so it makes sense to me like that. There's just always going to be this conflict, this never-ending cycle of that, and yeah, like surprise, like your favorite characters didn't end up having the happiest life after a certain point. I, my God, like the Star Wars universe is vast as fuck. Like I don't even like. Yeah. I can only name a handful of those planets and to think that an entire empire falls and there's just, there's literally thousands of planets that suddenly don't have the iron grip of the empire. They don't have any governments in place. They they've existed under this rule for, for so many years. Like goodness, of course there's conflict. Of course something else rose up. And of course, like it didn't a galaxy that vast. It's just, Man, like I, I am not surprised that things didn't turn out as happily as yeah. folks wanted it to. Yeah, Star Wars. What did you think? Uh, well, I take less of a pluralistic view on when it comes to Star Wars. I guess I completely respect the wide lens of experience people see the movie through. Um, I try to respect people who just want to see their favorite characters have cool victories and be in cool fights, but. For me, the most important thing when it comes to Star Wars is that it tells a story that I feel like it has some meaning or some message to it. Um, And there's a lot that goes into that, um, paying off on different things and investments and places the story has gone. I'm probably one of, I feel like I'm one of a, either a minority or perhaps a silent majority, I don't know, people who basically were okay with Last Jedi, uh, the movie before rise of Skywalker. I'm right there with you. It was my favorite out of the three. Like Really? Well, I don't know how it was for you, but I, for me, what made it enjoyable is that it felt like they were trying to take Star Wars in a different direction. Yes. Yes, yes. Yes. I was like, yes. okay, the whole casino planet thing, maybe not so good, but there's... I think the point... I act- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Not at all. They're, okay, but there... I actually... So, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the YouTube Cinema Sins, right? Yeah. Okay, so there's one that's called Cinema Wins, and it's literally just someone, like, making videos about everything that they thought was great in movies. And, like, they have humor, too. But someone, he did that for all the Star Wars movies, and he did it for The Last Jedi. I'm going to link it to you after this, but I, I really enjoy his take on the movie and what he had to say about it. Um, and really, he couldn't say it any better than that person could. But they did try and take it in new directions. And one thing that I recall him saying is, yeah, I mean, I guess 
you've never seen someone astral project themselves across the galaxy before. You've never seen someone stop a, a blaster bolt with the force before, but the force, why would you want to limit the possibilities of the force? Isn't it infinitely cooler to just see what our technology allows us to show the force doing as we go forward? That's me at least. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. There's no reason to consider previous works to be a rule book, but there is a certain, you know, realm of what's what's kind of conceivable or what you can envision as being possible given everything you know previously. Um, for me, I've seen the original trilogy a bunch of times. I've played a bunch of Star Wars games. I've I there was a point in my life where all I read was Star Wars books from the old um, <laughs> extended universe and. I, when I went through the experience of reading all those books, I kind of let go of the idea that Star Wars is a world, is, is a universe about Jedi. Like, there's so much more to Star Wars than that. And um, although Jedi are real pillars of it in many ways, um, my biggest hope with the new trilogy is that they took the, the dynamic of the Jedi and the Sith and the good guys versus the bad guys and did something different with it. Added some shades of complexity, um, or, and I was super disappointed in Force Awakens when all they could figure out how to do was to say, "Oh, there's a new empire, and it's called Order instead of Empire." Believe it. <laughs> and when the new group of good guys is not actually the government that supposedly formed as a result of the events that happened um, in the original trilogy, but is some weird splinter group that exists because the government doesn't like care about their citizens being killed and their planets being blown up it's so hard to understand and i was like okay i kind of let go of the idea that that was going to make sense at that movie yeah but what i held on to is the dynamic between ray and my favorite character of any of the new star wars stuff um well maybe excluding mandalorian um kylo ren Ben. Adam um, Driver absolutely killed it. I truly. Yeah, he's rightly accused of carrying the series. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to spoil that final scene with him that I'm sure you know, just because, like, in case someone hasn't seen the movie, a lot of people didn't like that. But I will just say for anyone who hasn't seen it, I, I felt it was a very sibling feeling just the entire moment is one of elation and oh my gosh and wow like this happened i didn't see it being romantic in any way that that was my take on it and i just yes yeah continue oh absolutely um yeah big moment there so what i wanted them to do was something different with the whole light side dark side force thing and it was clear that they were going to use ray and and ren to play that out Mm -hmm. and so my big thing that I hope that they weren't going to do is be like, oh, Ray is Luke 2.0 and Ren is Vader 2.0. And they're going to fight each other or one's going to reconcile the other. Um, Ray, uh, Ray to bring him over to the light side. Um, to me, that sounded so boring. And the whole conceit of the light side versus the dark side, I felt was really well explored in the prequel trilogy, which basically showed the light side to be more of a dogma than being good. I thought that that trilogy did a really good job of showing that off. And the next logical step is to say, well, there must be something, there must be a framework that's better for for integrating yourself within the Force. 
than good versus bad, light versus dark, peace versus hate, or whatever. Um, and I'm like, this trilogy needs to explore that in order to carry Star Wars forward. That's what I wanted. And gray Jedi, gray Jedi. Right, a, a gray Jedi is is the easiest way I think to show that off. It's just a Jedi who isn't light, isn't dark. You know, and like 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 uh, Mace Windu, right? Like Qui Gon, arguably, although we don't get to know him very much in the, the cinema. I series. actually read a book series for kids that went over. It was Qui Gon Jinn when Obi Wan was his Padawan. Obviously, that's not canon, and it wasn't really particularly well written, but fun stuff. No doubt. So, Force in a New Direction, and oh dear, it... did I disconnect? I did, didn't I? I hear you. Ooh, Were you saying wow. something? I, yeah, my internet just, like, kind of died for about 15 seconds there, but it, it's coming back. Did it do come a hiccup? Wi-Fi, come back. Yeah, it's, oh, I've got a red dot. Wow, I'm sorry. That's okay. Like, people must I, be just, like, banging their fists, like, why do you have Wi-Fi? You're a gamer. You know better. I know. Like, it just. And we're all in different okay, situations. I hear you just fine, unless you're delayed. So, here, here's the test. I'm going to say ping. As soon as I say ping, you say pong. Oh, goodness. Ping? You were cutting out constantly. For Okay, I heard that, but I still have a red bar. This is so embarrassing. That's Maybe all right. Should... Oh. Tell you what, let's take another five-minute pause, see if we can get the connection sorted out, and if we can, we'll come back. Cool? Yes. Okay. Five minutes, everyone. Thank you. Well, that's ridiculous. Right when we... And we're back. Hi. We're, once again, stable, and we're talking about Star Wars and about taking the Force in a new direction with the newest movie. So the throne room scene in The Last Jedi was the first signal to me that they were actually thinking about doing this, taking the Force in a new direction. Mm-hmm. And although there are some questionable choices for the rest of that movie, that kernel is something I hung on to and was looking for in Rise of Skywalker. And they didn't do it. Oh. That's the easiest way to say it, is that they didn't go a new direction with it. They didn't. They ended up saying the good is the good, the bad is the bad. And they told a bunch of family redemption stories is how I felt. And I really felt cheated out I, of the story yeah, that I, I think Star Wars needed to tell. I can feel... I Have you ever seen Star Wars Rebels? No, but I've heard of it. Okay, so you might actually enjoy that. Um, it starts off a little kitty um, far more than Clone Wars does, but it gets heavy pretty quick. It's animated, um, right? And the, yes. Uh, Filoni is heads it, though, so good stuff. Um, Ezra Bridger, the main character, is really taken in a bit of a gray uh, Jedi situation. I mean, the, the show ends with him like that. Sure, he grows, but he... I, I really think that, at least in that show, they actually... Oh, good Lord, I can't remember. I'm no expert on lore. But um, they did have something shown that i believe yeah no god yeah i can't remember what it's called but it's literally it was an entity a creature who is literally just sort of an embodiment of the force and it's neither light nor dark and kanan jarrus another main character also goes through a bit of a quite a bit of a journey uh learning more about the force not so much through the lens of a jedi but simply a force user someone who is part of that that existence I think you might enjoy some of the... It, it, it doesn't broach super in-depth like I think you'd like, but it was enough to get me really excited for what they could do in the future. 
that's cool. Yeah, I've looked at um, the Clone Wars specifically because I know that there it's that it's pretty well perceived, and I know that uh, Dave Filoni, who you mentioned, was involved with it and who is largely responsible for the Mandalorian. Um, oh gosh, who's heavily involved <laughs> in it, which is you know amazing. But um, I've always had a hard time facing the animated stuff in Star Wars uh, for some reason. I don't know. Something about it just doesn't super duper appeal to me, but it's definitely on my radar. I, yeah, I I haven't actually seen Resistance yet, the, the third animated show, mainly because the uh, the animation bugged me a bit. But I, I'm, so, I'm such a kid. Like, I watched Tangled on Disney Plus the other day, and then I discovered that they have an animated show for it and i was like what the story continues so i started watching a kid's show for tangled like animated kids show so that's that's me like <laughs> oh, oh it was the bendu thank you person you know who you are thank you so much bendu bendu was a force sensitive entity who resided on the remote planet of atoll adalon and claimed to represent the center of the force between the light side and the dark side they introduced Bendu into Star Wars Rebels, and it was it was great. I think you'd like that. I really do. I'm excited. Like, I hope you watch this now. Well, if I take that endorsement, is it is there a lot of it? Is it many seasons? Uh, it's four. Four, I believe. That's not um, too much. Yeah, it really isn't. And, I mean, the music score is incredible. Uh, the last ten minutes of the season finale of season two was kind of just, I... I was crying. It was just like that intense, the, the sure. beautiful music. Sure. I just watch it. Okay. Okay. I'll have a, I'll have a peep. Yeah. That, the idea of this, the, the, the nonpartisan, God, that's a weird word to use to describe it. The nonpartisan part of the force, the center of the force, the gray, the not light, the not dark, the non-dogmatic part of the force and engaging with that directly. Um, the thing that I, I, I've, developed a feeling about um, regarding that, which really starting from Knights of the Old Republic, that game, mm-hmm. is that it's almost like taking a child's perception of reality, good versus bad, and integrating those two notions to actually create a nuanced, practical way of dealing with the world and interacting with people. Because it is necessary to be aggressive and assertive in order to um, be successful in life and with dealing with people, but it's also necessary to be compassionate and to um, understand what you're facing. And to um, neither dogma is is a sufficient approach. And although it's, I think, fine to start there, uh, it's iconic. Um, it's arguably easy. I've grown up, and I kind of want Star Wars to grow up too. And if you're going to tell Jedi stories, that's what they got to do. Yeah, I I feel you there for sure. Um, but maybe Star Wars isn't wrote. something for. Isn't I mean, for that. they've. I I think they can do it. I I suppose I am far more optimistic about Disney and what they're doing with Star Wars than others are. Um, I I mean Rebels to go back to that. They 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 had some dark stuff in Rebels. Um, quite so. Clone Wars did as well, and I they have a, a new season coming out that's probably going to have dark stuff there too. Um, I think it's baby steps, but they are making progress towards a new kind of idea about the Force because they they have to. Yeah, you know they 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 really have to. I would say. I feel like that's what Marvel's done so well with their stuff. 
is they've taken mm-hmm. something that was made for kids and they found a way to grow it up with while still being true to the soul of what it was always about. It can be done. It really can. Which I think we got to see a little bit of with Mandalorian. Have you seen that? I have seen it all and I want to rewatch it. Like that's how much I loved it. Me too. Like, oh. I, it blew my mind. The first episode, I was just like, what? Like, oh, God, I can't talk. Like, it's so great. Yeah. Like, oh, he is a crowd I, pleaser. He really is. And I, I've i been so, I, my only gripe, my only gripe, and this is really just being nitpicky as someone who role plays, uh, in, as role plays, and I, I write a story for a, a, a sage uh, in the Old Republic era, a healer through the Force. And I am... I'm nitpicky about what they've done. They did it in Rise of Skywalker too with the force transfer. I'm nitpicky about how quickly like baby Yoda has healed minor spoiler, but not really well spoiler, but very minor. Well, yeah, that force healing ability is pretty so divisive. quick. Yeah. And I was just like, it shouldn't be that quick. You're literally healing someone through the force. Like yeah. the one thing they got right, at least for me is that like, it took a lot out of baby Yoda. Like, of course it does. Like you're channeling the force through you to heal someone like of course that's going to take a chunk out of you i'm just not happy that it was done in like the span of like you know seven seconds for viewing purposes i get that it has to but now it's literally canon that like it went that quickly and i'm just kind of cranky about right it. and this is a problem with with a huge franchise like star wars is now the knowledge of that ability changes your perception of everything else that's ha- happened before or that we've seen before so you look at past situations and you're like, well, how come Anakin just didn't use the force to heal Padme? Like, why was why did he have to side with Palpatine in order to save her if he could have just force field her, dummy? Like, um, <laughs> and there's a lot of arguments that I've heard about um, about Rise of Skywalker are about how what they've done there completely cheapens the the Darth Vader story. Um, some of this stuff just happens. I think the force healing stuff is probably one of those things. It's like, oh, we didn't think of that. Um, and it's okay. Like that's kind of a detail maybe, but sometimes you I get mean, the sense that the people making these stories don't know enough about, don't know enough about it. And maybe they should, but as time goes on, the only people who know everything are the fans. Yeah. It's almost like you need one person directing the story like they do with MCU. <laughs> yeah to keep that vision intact throughout the years yeah well anything else uh you want to say about star wars moon i mean miranda sorry listen to me i'm used to calling you by it's your okay. in-game name <laughs> i i i like being called moon too um i guess i i just my one final thing to say about star wars i absolutely love the old republic era it's not really canon yet but revan exists they did do that didn't but they announce I, that there's a new trilogy or a new TV yes! show coming out that's based in that era? But I'm not sure. Like, it's kind of wishy-washy. And, like, I'm just, I'm trying not to get my hopes up. But, you know, I, okay, I need, I'm going to, like, literally write a letter to Disney and be like, hi, how are you? <laughs> I would really like for you to canonize Miraluka, the species, so that my character can be a real character in Star Wars. I love the Old Republic era. Part of why I love it so much is because back then there were far less restrictions um it was constantly war i mean in the prequels it's what a thousand years of peace for the jedi so in the old republic era there is so much conflict and they're pushing the boundaries of the force on both sides constantly and 
because there's so much conflict, rules don't exist the way they do in the prequels for the Jedi. Right. It's a much easier era to be a gray Jedi, to be a, a force user who doesn't necessarily ascribe to the Jedi or the Sith. It's a time when like the Miraluka, the species, they had their own um, take on the force. They had their own organization like the Jedi. I mean, they were typically, it was light side because Miraluka see through the force. Therefore I would, you know, I obviously I don't see through the force. Are they but... the ones who are on that planet at the end of the first KOTOR game? Maybe they're the ones who don't have eyes, but I take issue with that because like evolution is messy, but not that messy where like they still have brow ridges, but no eyes. But uh, yeah, Eh. (laughs) I want Mira Luca to be real. I need the older public to be canonized (laughs) and it's going to hurt me to know that things are going to have to change for my characters if they do canonize it. But I also feel like, it's such a vast time period, like to hell with it. I'm just going to write my shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, that's what I have to say. Well, what you made is real to you and no one can change that. My great hope is uh, that they don't fuck with KOTOR, but we'll have to see. We do have to see probably for another couple of years. Yeah. Okay, Miranda, <sighs> I've had so much fun catching up with you. This I is think really we should. Great, Greg. I would sure love to do it again sometime. You cut out one more time. I would sure love to do it again sometime. I really would. Like, I absolutely. Thank you so much for thinking of me and having me on here. I, oh, it's rare that I get to talk this much. Like, woo! Like, (laughs) I'm surprised my voice isn't gone. No, you've been awesome. It's been good. Thank you for being such an awesome host and conversationalist. You are truly great at this. Like, I, it takes a special someone to be able to keep someone on track while having tangents. I appreciate that. It's an evolving craft and something that, that matters a lot to me. So thank you. And uh, next time around, uh, we'll see where it's at. Well, yeah. I promise to let you go. So um, thanks again and uh, talk soon. Talk soon. Take care. Thank you. Take care. See you, Miranda. Bye-bye. Bye, Greg.